What's up, guys? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview entrepreneurs on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is Courtney Peacock, a polymath and entrepreneur who helps others live a healthier and happier lifestyle through her stress and anxiety management coaching. While building out her brand Pinecone, she focuses her time on growing her skills, serving her community, and finding creative ways to add value to whatever room she steps into. And fortunately for us, she brings her vast experience and knowledge to the table as one of our Thrive team members, so we get to witness her power firsthand. I learned a lot from Courtney in this episode, and my hopes are that you do too. So please give it up for Courtney Peacock, y'all. What's up, fam? I have one of my best friends, Miss Courtney Peacock, on the podcast today. She is currently helping us with one of the products that Thrive is building, but she does a bunch of other stuff. So I'm really, really excited for this conversation. But before we got on this podcast, we were talking about kind of places we've wanted to travel or potentially live in our lives. And Courtney mentioned Japan. And I've actually never been to any Asian country yet, only Europe and South America. So I'd love to hear a little bit about why Japan. Yeah, Japan. So we went three years ago, about three years ago. Who's we? Me and Dustin, my boyfriend. Um, His dad actually moved to Okinawa for a job about four years ago. And we just went to visit him. So we went for a month and we spent some time on the island of Okinawa. And then we went like all over mainland Japan to Tokyo and Osaka and Kyoto. And it was a magical, magical trip. It was incredible. What was magical about it? Japan's just like going to the future, like especially Tokyo. It was just a place like I've never experienced before. People are super friendly and polite. Everything's really clean. Everything is like next level technology wise. I don't know. I've traveled a lot and it really blew my mind how different it was from our culture. How long has his dad lived out there? Like what brought him to Japan in the first place? So he's an engineer for the Air Force. So he actually, it's a really long story, but he wanted to move out of the States and that's just kind of like where he got stationed. So that's awesome. Okay. After Japan, where would be the next place? What's, what's, where do I want to go next? So actually it's funny you say that because Japan is the only place I've ever visited where I want to go back immediately. Like usually when I travel to a new place, I'm like, okay, where am I going next? And ever since I went, I like miss it. It has like a nostalgia feeling for me. It's really crazy. But to like kill two birds, we want to go back to Japan and then hit like Thailand and Vietnam and Cambodia at the same time. So hopefully that's our next trip. Oh, yeah. Well, hopefully. Yeah. Once this is all over. Hopefully (laughs) that we're allowed to start traveling soon and we're able to, to do that. And I think I've been inspired to, as everything's going on right now, to actually go to different continents, different countries. Um, But we'll see when that happens. But I'd love to kind of transition into 
what it is you are up to these days outside of the product. I was trying to think of like how to label you, but one of the things that I love about what you do is you and I kind of fall in the same line of like, there's so much that we like to work on and like to do. And it seems like every time I talk to you, it's, it's something new. So give the audience a little background on what it is to be in the life of Courtney and like what you're working on on a daily basis. And yeah, we'll just start with that. Cool. Yeah, I'm definitely starting to embrace being a polymath more um, than I used to. But I guess right now I'm focusing on stuff with Thrive, obviously. Love being here helping you guys. Um, My coaching business, which is um, focused on helping really ambitious career-driven women manage their stress so that they can just thrive in their life. And then I'm building a brand called Pinecone. Its aim is to deliver very accessible, dependable information about health to the masses. So kind of taking all of the confusion out of it for people, but still making it really interesting and fun. So I can't wait for that. Where did the name Pinecone come from? So this is a funny story. It's crazy how meant to be it is because I'm from Oregon. I'm very proud of being from Oregon. Pine trees are like something that I love, obviously. But um, I hired a team of like an accelerator, whatever you call it, to come up with a name for my brand. And I spent probably about 10 hours like brainstorming with these people. And it was one of the most fun things I've ever done, but nobody came up with anything. Like it was just kind of like this fun experience. And I was like, dang, well, that was cool, but whatever. And then that night I walk into the kitchen and I was like, not bummed, but I was kind of like, man, like they didn't come up with anything. And then Dustin was like, what about pinecone? And I literally got (laughs) teary eyed and was like, oh my God, this is perfect. Um, So that I could have just asked him in the first place, but no, see that's, that's the law of reciprocity. You put in the work and then eventually it just pops up. But I'd love to know a little bit more about that 10 hour session. Like first off, how did you even come in touch with? I actually think you told me to look into it. Oh yeah. But I can't remember the name of what it was. Um, but it's essentially like a platform for creatives to come on and you pitch your idea. Like I pitched what the brand was about, kind of different themes or words that I liked or like, I think for me, I just, you know, been in Japan. So I was like, I really love like Japanese culture, Japanese, like the simplicity of that type of thing. Um, And yeah, it was really fun. They just, you have like a chat room with them and they message you personally or in the chat and just kind of like throw out ideas. And it was really cool. That's awesome. I wish I would have known to do that. Like back with all the projects that I I was starting because you spend a lot of people, you'll spend so much time trying to think of the name and think of the branding and think all these things. One thing that I'm leaning into today is just like, there's experts for every little thing that you're trying to do. So lean on them and you might, I mean, for me, you only spent one day thinking of, and it's a really good name. Um, But you mentioned polymath. I'd love Mm -hmm. for you to kind of speak to what does being a polymath mean to you? And like, Mm -hmm. how did you start realizing that's kind of who you are? Yeah, so I think I was more entrepreneurial than I thought now looking back. So having like a lot of different interests, I used to get hard on myself about that. Like in my 20s, I was very much so like, make up your mind. You know, I was kind of, I studied French in college and then I worked as a translator for a while and then I was working for an accounting firm and then I got more into like fitness and being interested in health and just kind of jumping all over the place. And finally, entrepreneurship has allowed me to embrace that because it's become 
so useful in coaching to have a lot of different expertise. So it's turned out to be an amazing way to guide my clients because I am able to relate to them on so many different subjects. But now I just embrace it as like, it doesn't need to mean something for my future. It can just be what I'm interested in right now. So I'm like, I'm working with Sumer at Train Life Fit to do a functional movement certification, yet I don't want to personal train anymore. And that's been like a an interesting evolution because it's invaluable what I'm learning from him. And I have no doubt in my mind that it will help me with Pinecone and help me with these other endeavors. But it doesn't need to be like this straight trajectory for... It's not at the forefront of right. like what you want to do or your business. And right. I think that that mindset of so- is something that we need to instill in right. kids and make them realize that, I mean, some of the best lessons that I've learned and probably a lot of other males are from sports right? that then transition into entrepreneurship and right. or your corporate job, depending on who you are. Right. And I think a lot of people know that connection, but they where we lack is the creative side of things where people are always putting down art or art school or right. the creative arts, and they don't realize how much that actually transitions over into the world, totally. the, real, the, the real world, and how you're, if you can creatively solve problems, you're going to help the world become a better place. And usually if you do that, like you're going to find some root of right. success. And- what do you think made you like that in the first place? Was it where you grew up or? I'm not. My dad is like this. He, you know, he's an author. He's a graphic designer. He's an illustrator. He's, he's very creative, but he's done so many different types of creativity. And he's still, my, my parents both are like forever learners. My dad and my stepmom still, she has like a belly dancing class every week that she goes That's to awesome. or like a writer's <laughs> workshop or they were doing Irish dance for a while and then they do, you know, so it's like they're always learning these new skills or in their 60s. And it's like been really instilled in me to just anything you're interested in, mastering it and being really interested in learning as much as you can. I just think that's kind of like how to live in the moment and really profit from your life is to continuously learn. I think people don't realize how grateful they should be that that is part of the human experience that's what separates us from other animals that are here on this earth plants animals we can learn new things and even more importantly we can decide to learn versus other forms of beings it's not like they decide like the way that we decide right uh, on our life we can create things and the life that we choose and i think a lot of people aren't self-aware enough to really fully appreciate that. So they Mm -hmm. don't necessarily act on it. And that's one of the things, the reason I asked you about the polymath is one of my goals is to inspire other people to become like that. Mm -hmm. Because the more that you learn just to learn and not put yourself in a bucket of, I work this job, so I'm only going to learn these skills rather like take a class that's completely opposite. And one thing that I miss from, doing because of COVID is like going to hip hop dance classes with my wife. Like I am so bad at hip hop. Like I can freestyle dance. Like you get a couple of drinks with me. We'll go to the bar. Like I'm good. I got my solid three moves. They all make fun of me, but like go to a choreographed hip hop class and from lifting and playing sports, I'm so stiff. Yeah. But what I started realizing was like, wow, if I go to these choreographed classes and I can start remembering the different moves. Well, that's going to help me in my business. Remember, it's going to create this thing in my brain where I'm remembering, maybe I remember some of the ideas I had or 
I can help another client with strategy because of something I learned about myself while I was at that right. hip hop dance class. And I think a lot of people don't, again, just don't have enough gratitude for that. So thank you for representing that and, yeah. and pushing that type of lifestyle forward. But it I'd love to- It should be a conversation within health because yeah. it's just like working out your muscles. The more you learn that's strengthening and growing your brain. I mean, the volume of your brain actually increases. So it's like, if people were focused on that as a piece of health more, I think it would round out the conversation a little bit How do you think better. we get there? I think that health, um, and that's something I hope to do with Pinecone, is it's going to include things like financial health, intellectual health, mental health, physical health. It's like our experience as a human being is what health should mean. Yeah. You know, and communicating that more rather than just focusing on these like exclusive avenues to being quote unquote healthy. When did health become something that you started to really so put I into your think spectrum? It's always been a priority. My mom, so she was a single mom and you know, like latchkey kid in the nineties. Like she would, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> she would bring me and my brother home from school and then leave and go to the gym every day, okay. which like is probably frowned upon now, but we lived in a very, very safe area. But, um, she went to the gym every single day and she always cooked our meals. She made my lunch until through high school. Like I was always eating like fresh, real food. I sold my sandwiches sometimes for pizza pockets, but um, <laughs> to the guys. Hey, entrepreneur, yeah. let's go. <laughs> but um, it was just really instilled in me. And then I had, you know, a blip in my 20s where I was in some substance abuse stuff, but I was still running marathons and eating healthy and like was always a priority even in the extreme other side of things. But I became really passionate about it when I got sober because I realized the extreme effect it had on my mental and physical health just to remove those negative vices and focus on energy and waking up and feeling good every day. And I just don't really know if you can experience life to the fullest without being healthy. That's amazing. I love that. And you, so you mentioned one of the things that Courtney and I relate to a lot is like sober living and stuff like that. I'm not necessarily sober, but I consider myself way more sober than I was right. <laughs> like in my college age and then young professional career. And I can relate wholeheartedly to that, but I'd love to learn a little bit more because even before this podcast, I don't know much of the right. backstory of how you even got into that position to have to think about becoming right. sober. So I think a lot of listeners, including myself, like I didn't realize how much of a vice it actually was and how much mm -hmm. alcohol and other recreational things were holding me back right. while I was doing it. And I never considered myself necessarily, quote unquote, an alcoholic or anything like right. that. But when I look back and you're talking about like financial health mm. and the amount of money I That's spent crazy. in college on alcohol versus what I could have been doing with that money. Like today yeah. I'm like, man, I could have been investing. Yeah. I could have been taking all these cool fitness classes. I right. could have been, could have, could have, could have, um, should have, should have, should have right. um, been doing these things. And what did that look like for you? Was it where you grew up or what kind of put you down that rabbit hole? I think something that's not talked about enough in our culture is the, the experience of having people in your life that you look up to who use Oof. alcohol or other things. I want to be careful here, but I was in an environment growing up where alcohol was extremely normalized. 
um, and extremely functionally normalized. So the thing that I saw was like, this is what adults do and you can still totally have a functional, successful life and do this all the time. I also lived in a small town. That's what you do, right? Like straight up, you know, bonfires and drinking. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Like the first time I got drunk, I like went to some bonfire with the seniors in my high school (laughs) and like beer bonged. Like the first time I drank, it was crazy. And I think it just became so normal that I had social anxiety. It was like a great way to just not feel that and not um, worry about what people were thinking of me or, you know, I've never been particularly witty or funny and I felt funny when I was drunk. So it would like, I could be that person that I wish I was already. It's so weird to look back on, but, and it just becomes habitual. I mean, we don't talk a lot about whether or not you have the quote unquote genes of alcoholism. It's an addictive substance. It's a very addictive substance. And whether or not you ever develop a full-blown physical addiction, there's different levels of addiction, like psychological, habit forming, like there's all these different things. So for me, it was really surrounding myself with people who were in that work hard, play hard mentality. So it was like working your ass off for five days a week and then partying all weekend. And then it just became normal. And what really kind of like tipped me over to the other side was um, when I was 26, I think I was 26. I got laid off from like my dream job. I was working for the government doing translation and for like three years. And I was so young that I thought that I would just be able to do that forever. I got laid off and landed in the service industry, (laughs) which is just a perfect storm for substance abuse. I mean, like you don't have to wake up early. Yeah, Your job is, it's stressful, but it's easy. You know, like once you get the hang of it, it's very doable if you're like a person who likes people and selling and whatnot and then you just get in this pattern of going out with your friends every night because you don't have to wake up early and that's what people do in the service industry so I just got tied in for a couple years to this like rat race of abusing my body and for me it really because of the environment I grew up in I had always promised myself that if substances got in the way of any relationships that I would take it seriously And that was the turning point for me where I had best friends very concerned. Dustin was (laughs) extremely supportive, but he was like, I will not be around you when you drink. I'm not going to like participate in this, you know, he never gave me like an ultimatum, but it was close. And that was the turning point for me where I was just like, I need to deal with this. And, um, And when was this? This was 2016. Okay. Pretty recent. And I'm lucky a lot of people don't achieve like spontaneous sobriety is what they call it, where you just kind of are able to sustain it. But I also never wanted a label. So I never identified as an alcoholic or wanted to go to AA or rely on anything outside of myself, which I actually think ended up building a really strong foundation for sobriety because I know that I'm the one in control of that choice, you know? Yeah. Versus again, like our society just throws people under labels, right. whether it's from your job or whatever you're trying to do. And we're, we're trying to fight back to that. Um, even with my own self, because like, again, like 
we live in an environment here in Austin where there are a lot of pro sober people and right. then there's a lot of partying people. And then right. for me, I was like, where the hell do I fit in? Right. And then as soon as I stopped saying like, you don't fit in anywhere, that's right. okay. Like you're just, you're on your own path. Totally. When you want to drink, have a couple of drinks. Exactly. When you don't, don't. Right. And like, that's what I've really been leaning into is just like the majority of the time, like I have no reason to drink. Like right. there, there's nothing I'm celebrating that's right. just like, let's have a drink. Now, during my wedding, like I was hammered. Right. <laughs> like, it was a great time. Like I loved it. Um, and I think for me, like the biggest struggle with that is I'm super competitive. So when I look back on my journey and like drinking, even when I, even the first time I got really messed up, this is in high school, like I drank like half a liter and then I've thrown oh up God. everywhere and then like come home and I'm hot, like, I, it's a funny story. Sorry, mom and dad. Um, like come home and I expect them to be in bed and they're watching a movie and I'm just like, Oh, I'm going to bed. And I just like go to the bed. And then the next morning they knew like, yeah. they never specifically told me they knew, but they knew. And from that point on, like it was always more of like, not that I loved being intoxicated. It was how much could I drink and still function? Like, right. because I always considered myself someone that can function like in stressful right. environments. And it became this like game. Right. Um, now that I look back, it was a game to me. Um, and as soon as I switched the game and my competitiveness to something else, like I feel so much better because right. now the game is entrepreneurship. I'm playing right. a much different game where I can't afford to wake up and feel like shit because I have a company and people and a right. community that is counting on me. And it yeah. gives me purpose. And yeah. that's really where that's the as soon as key. I found the purpose yeah. to staying sober, because again, when you are lost, it's easy. I'll just have a drink. Like maybe that, maybe I'll find something through the alcohol, through the drink. As soon as I had purpose, it was just like, oh, I don't need, I don't, what's the point right. of this? And then for you, that's why I want to go like, what was the purpose that you kind of found as right. soon as you started saying, okay, I'm going to become sober. I don't want to lose my boyfriend. I don't want to lose my friends. What was that initial purpose that you found in yourself? Because I think a lot of people listening, you can change on a dime. That's totally. that's what I want to kind of, the moral of the story that I want to tell with this is you can decide to change. Yep. And I think the easiest way to make that leap to change is finding that purpose. Right. I think for me, the main starting point was realizing I'm like a seeker to understand everything. So I used a lot of science to figure out what had happened to me and why I had like gone down that spiral. And something that really stuck out to me was that I realized I had been procrastinating by using alcohol and drugs because I didn't want to face the fact that I wasn't going after the life that I wanted. Oh, so more so than like, like I'm pretty confident now that if I wanted to moderate, I could figure, you know, like I've dealt with a lot of the shit that is around why I was using alcohol. I don't want to. I don't think that there's yeah. any point. But I think that so much of why people end up in that position is because they don't have that purpose or they're scared of what that purpose would mean. A lot of us live in environments where our parents or whoever have been like pressuring us to be quote unquote successful but never gave us the guidance to figure out what that meant to us, you know? So for me, it was really realizing, okay, I was procrastinating. I didn't want to face this, but what do I actually want? And then so my new purpose became figuring out what I actually wanted my life to look like. And that was really painful. It was like I had to leave a lot of friendships behind that weren't aligned with who I wanted to become. I had to 
sacrifice a lot financially. Like I moved in with Dustin in this, like you would laugh at the house that we lived in, but he had lived there for 10 years and our rent was like $300. (laughs) That's a smart choice though. Yeah. But I mean, I paid off $16,000 in debt because I'd gotten in debt from being nihilistic and like not caring while I was drinking all the time of like, I'm living. The irony in it is that I was always through all of this, like I'm living to the fullest. YOLO. <laughs> yes, like, and it's like, no, and it's completely the opposite. It's so fascinating. It's like, yeah, staying up till 5 a.m. on the porch with someone having a conversation that like you feel is so deep or whatever. But you don't even remember you it. You don't remember this it. Is, it's crazy. This is such a good yeah. point because, I mean, yeah. you were on the West Coast right. and I'm on the East Coast and like it's a, a, culture. Lot, of, a yeah. lot of people have asked me like, so I, I like to travel. I have all these gadgets and stuff like that. And they, they ask like, well, how, how can you do that? Like, how, how do you get to that point? And I'm just like, the immediate first question I ask is how much do you eat out? Right. And how many bars do you go to? Yep. Because like in a month, like I used to spend hundreds, hundreds of, of dollars, dollars yep. on restaurants and bars. Yep. You take that hundreds of dollars, that's one flight. Right. And then you get a credit card like mine, you start buying flights on credit right. cards, you rack up enough points Miles. to then have free flights yep. and free hotels. Right. So I rigged the system and I'm like, man, like that's what I think back to is like, if I would have known this in high school and college, I could have used the competitiveness to do that. Now that's where I'm, I'm the type of person I was like, okay, I learned from that. Maybe I can teach somebody else that's younger than me now, or maybe in a position where they can, they can transition out and, and really see that. But I love what you said about your purpose became finding a purpose. And I think in the time frame that we're at in 2020, there's a lot of people that, are seeking that purpose. And what I would tell you is one of the number one things that you can do is look at what you're putting into your body. Right. Like that is the number one thing that I would tell you to do when seeking your purpose is like, what are you putting into your body? We are what we eat. When they say that we are what we eat. And if you're struggling to find purpose, start with the very bare minimum of, Hey, if we're talking science, when you put, bad oil into a car, what happens? It breaks down. When you put bad food into a body, it breaks down mentally and physically. And if you just want to start on the path of finding that purpose, the nutrition side is super important. So I know you're a vegan and what did, mostly mostly vegan, what vegan tendencies, um, (laughs) what inspired that side of things? Because I know for me, like I have celiac disease. I was always kind of forced, like as soon as I got into my job and I realized it wasn't normal to shit 10 times a day, (laughs) like I had to seek alternative things that I was ingesting into my body. But for you, when did that become a a topic? So it was after I got sober. So one part of this story that's crazy that I want to communicate to anybody listening, because I think it's really important, is that I was always told from the age of 15 when I started drinking that I had an anxiety disorder and there was a chemical imbalance and I needed to be on medication. And I resisted medication and I got on medication and I resisted and whatever, like I had this weird relationship with it. When I stopped drinking, 80 to 90% of my anxiety went away. Like legit. Just what medication goodbye. did they put you on? I was on Lexapro for a while. I think I tried Prozac in high school. Like there were just numerous um, antidepressant, anti-anxiety medications. And so realizing, okay, no alcohol, no anxiety. What else am I putting in my body that could be affecting me on this level? That's when I got really into nutrition. And the plant-based thing is kind of funny. I think I watched Cowspiracy or something and then got like 
down this rabbit hole of research about the environment. So for me personally, it was never, it never started as like an animal cruelty thing. It was so much more of, and I went vegetarian first. And then you just have this moment once you've been vegetarian for a while, or at least I did, where I was like, well, if I'm not eating meat, why would I eat dairy? Why would I like put the animals through that just to have dairy? Gave up dairy. But um, the further you go without eating animals, the more connected you feel to them, which is really weird. But um, it was really just an environmental thing. And then I just kept researching it to make sure that it was okay for my health because I'm someone who... Like just to be transparent, I eat eggs and I take fish oil because the science shows that you don't get fats like that in your brain and does not work out very well for you. So my health always like comes first and then I do what I can for the planet or for helping animals. But it really began because of the environment and just the effect that industrial farming and everything has. But it evolved to more of a compassion for animals and doing things better aligned with my health. That's awesome. I love yeah. that answer. And something that I think you and I have in common, and I love our, our conversations off the podcast, is willingness to adapt your answers and solutions to updated evidence. Totally. And I think that's what we're that's lacking. That's what I live by. Yeah, that's what we're lacking. And no labels. Like I don't like yeah. calling myself a vegan, not only because I do take fish oil, but because down the line – what if science comes out that this is actually like a terrible path and you should change it? Or what if I just change my mind? Then it's like your identity is affected yeah. by changing your mind. And I just don't think that's a healthy way as a human to be because we're always evolving, you know? Yeah. And that's why, I mean, I never went down the rabbit hole. It's like, I'm nutrition. I got my nutrition certification to instruct people. And, but I never really went down that path because people always just saw it like, well, what do you eat? Right. And I was just like, well, what Biodiversity I eat is real. doesn't matter what right. I eat. It matters like how, you feel how do you eating. feel what yeah. you're eating. So like here's this huge list. I want right. you to go to the grocery store, start knocking them out and get a notebook. What does it feel like to eat this food? And I, I felt trapped, especially like as an athlete growing up, they're just like protein, protein, right. protein. Right. And it's just like they never tell you what's enough protein or right. what's enough carbs or they're just like protein, carbs for energy. Right. No one really was mentioning fats when we were growing up because right. I grew up in the 90s fat just like you. Bad, yeah. Fat was bad. And now it's just like, oh, fat is great for your brain and right. like all these but other things. that could things. change too. Yeah, that's that the could thing change. That so it's just try like- Try to base your, that's like another thing with pinecone that I'm so passionate about is basing your information on tried and true- information so it's like right now what we have in front of us with nutrition is like eat real food mostly plants not too much who says that michael pollan i think and it's like that's really what you should be focusing on because all these little tiny micro like trends and things that we think we know a lot about like we've just barely scratched the surface so it's i don't know it's really interesting yeah and i mean you're gonna the way that i look at it is just like what makes me feel good right and not what the other person says should make exactly. me feel good. And so I follow that. And then again, like I'm much like you, I mean, there's going to be science 10, 20 years from now, you're going right. to, you're going to have an Apple watch that tells you like what your blood is like, exactly what you need, yeah. what you, what nutrients you're lacking right now. Right. I'm going to be able to be like, it's gonna be like, you're low on selenium. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> Google, what, what food has selenium in it? Okay, cool. Right. Like whatever that is. So I don't even know if people eat selenium. I just, I don't oh, know yeah, why that do. word came to my, <laughs> came to my brain, but I'd love to shift this convo into, I'm huge on how like mindset and, and stories kind of yeah. help in business and help create the confidence 
in us to create the ideas and the projects and build the teams and the brands to get our lives to the next level. Entrepreneurship is something that has really leveled up my life. Mm -hmm. And I want to be very crystal clear. I don't expect anyone to just drop their hat and become an entrepreneur. I'm I'm more so from the the standpoint of everyone has entrepreneurial tendencies. And no matter whether you love your job in the corporate world or you're working for a nonprofit, whatever it is, whatever title, whatever you have, I think you can benefit from surrounding yourself with entrepreneurs and understanding more of that mindset. When did you first kind of have your entry point into the world of entrepreneurship besides selling your sandwiches (laughs) in high school? And it's funny you did that because I would bring lunch from home Mm -hmm. and I would buy, my mom would give me lunch, but I would make my own lunch. And she would give me the money to buy lunch. So what I would do is usually I'd end up trading to get like cookies from someone or a pizza stick. We had like pizza dippers and stuff. So they only let you get, you could sometimes buy double lunch. But what I would end up doing is like trading to get like triple sometimes or like (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Talking about health and shit, but (laughs) Chick-fil-A would come. They'd only let you buy one. So I would figure out ways to trade to get someone to go buy me another chick-fil-a sandwich or something but what was your first entry point in your head of like when you started becoming an entrepreneur in your in your mind so i think it started my first corporate job i did it for a year in a cubicle and i was like i'm never fucking doing this again like (laughs) what was that like what job it was an accounting firm and i was um an executive assistant and it was like i couldn't watch mad men at the time it was out and it was really popular because it was so real to my life. Like I wasn't allowed to wear pants. The only reason why I could wear flats was because I worked in the tax department where you had to stand a lot. Otherwise women had to wear heels. It was like going back in time, it was crazy. But it was my first job out of college. So I was like, oh, this is the world. Like this is what people do. I had four hours of work a day, but they made me stay eight hours. Like all of those little things where I was just like, this is not for me. Um, So then next I worked from home for a, a company and traveled all the time and was like could work whatever hours I wanted so that was kind of the entry point of like okay this is where I want to be and when I got laid off the reason why I went into the service industry was because the only jobs that I could get were in cubicles and I was like no I'm not doing this you know so started waiting tables and then it just kind of evolved um into health because so funny how you remember negative parts of your life I had a friend recently be like Courtney when you were drinking you weren't like just wasting your time you were still running marathons and training other people to run marathons and like traveling and doing all these cool things like don't dismiss that time of your life which I think is an important thing to remember um no regrets right totally (laughs) (laughs) but um I started training friends for half marathons and I had a good friend be like you're really good at this maybe you should be a trainer or get your yoga certification or like become a running coach or whatever it is And that was kind of the entry point, but it took me a long time to set the fear aside and just go after it. And I actually was having a conversation with one of Dustin's best friends where I had my personal training certification test coming up and I was like, I just don't even think I'm going to take it. I don't want to do this. Just fear, right? Like I was just terrified. And he looks at me and he goes, you're taking that test. He was like, you cannot decide that you don't want to do something until you pass that test. And I was like, okay, all right, here we go. Like, you're right. So that was the first step of like, I can't let fear get in the way of any of my decisions. I have to keep moving the needle forward. 
And then when we were in, um, so I personal trained for about a year while I was working in restaurants and I hated it because it was like, I loved personal training. I hated serving and it was just this weird split of my time. And then Dustin and I went to Japan and I'll never forget it. I was meditating on the subway. It's like so cheesy because um, we would take these long subway rides. And I came out of my meditation and I looked at Dustin and I was like, I have to quit my job when we get back. I don't recommend this. I only had like $800 to my name. But he was like, cool, I'll support you. Like, we, you can do this. And I literally <laughs> quit my job, got back, emailed every single person I knew being like, I'm a personal trainer now. Started just like cold calling old friends, old coworkers, like pitching everybody that I possibly could and just started hustling. I had no idea what I was doing. Like literally charging $22 an hour, <laughs> driving to my clients, yep. like yep. buying all the equipment and like not really, you know, like, and I worked at the Y for six months, which was a great experience, but box gyms just weren't, I'm, I'm a rebel, you know, like I want to do things on my terms. So. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing. And we were... So we're planning this course and we were writing out for those that aren't sitting here with us, we were writing out like the curriculum for it. And one of the things that we talked about and we're giving the theme to the course is confidence. And once you start gaining that confidence, like you start taking action. And once you start taking action, the results starting to show up. And the funniest thing though, is for me, it was a similar thing where I had this corporate job where I'm making way more money than what I was charging right. for my own business. Right. The question I have for you is why do we initially do that? Like why why do we devalue ourselves? Because I was showing up to the park training in the dirt, charging literally one a quarter of what I should have yeah. been charging. Like I'm a collegiate athlete. Like I can get anybody totally. in shape and fit safely. I devalued myself saying like, I've, I've never really done this before. Right. So I'm worth less. Right. Why do we do that? I think there's so many psychological reasons for that. For me, one of them was that my surrounding network, I thought, I assumed I couldn't afford more than what I was doing. And I think something that's taught a lot is just be confident and then you'll be confident. But I think action has to come and then the experience builds confidence. So I feel like we almost have to start in that weird place of like not valuing ourselves enough in order to gain the experience to be like, no, I do. But I, I, you know, I guess that that hits the nail on the head. Like what, what, what level do you put yourself at? So you just at least start acting. Right. So what, what makes you comfortable enough to get going? And then you need to start getting uncomfortable. And then Jake, one of our interns has a brand called into the uncomfortable. Right. So, but I think, there's certain aspects of your life where leaning into being comfortable and just getting started right. can build that momentum. So that does make sense because for me, it was like, I'm charging less because I want to see if this is even something that I want right. to do. So what can I charge so that like I get a bunch of clients really quickly right. and I see what it's like. Right. Now, I think a lot of people trap themselves and thinking back to myself I knew in my head, I was like, this price point, like, I'm going to start at, but like, in a year from now, like, I'm tripling totally. what I'm doing. I think a lot of that was also coming from reading books and, and seeking knowledge, just like you were. Right. So I knew I was lowballing. Right. When did you start? Because I know for me, when I, when I started saying, like, okay, enough is enough, it's time to get to the next level. But for you, you were charging too little, 
spending too much energy. When was that enough is enough moment in your life? So two things happened. One, I had a mismatch of energy happening. So like you hear the saying, people who pay, pay attention. Personal training, that's really important because you want to help people get results and they need to show up. So raising my prices helped with that a lot, massively. And then I also had a client tell me she couldn't refer me until I raised my rates. So her network wouldn't take me seriously. Best, like, I love her. Um, It was a really empowering moment because she was like, I value what you do. I want you to be my trainer forever, but I can't refer you until you raise your rates. So like she helped me set a rate and go with it. And having that, I think sometimes you do need like those nudges from people. It's like the way that I coach on raising prices is not like, oh, your worth is X amount of dollars. It's more like, what do you feel comfortable with? And then get uncomfortable. Don't like overshoot it too much, but make sure that you're out of your comfort zone, you know? Um, and that's what she helped me do was be like, you know, you're worth this. Push it to that level, you know? What does it look like to overshoot it? Because I think a lot of people, they, they lean one of two ways. They kind of go about it the way we did, but then they never get unstuck or they overshoot from the get-go and that causes its own problems in itself. And I know that you have seen this kind of yeah. like with some of the clients that you've worked with and the people that you've experienced. Totally. So I'd love to have that knowledge get pushed off to whoever's listening right now. So the way that I view... I don't like when people equate money to worth because I think humans are inherently worthy. Worthy. It has nothing to do with like the cost of whatever. I think that your service has to be a value exchange. So like energy is exchanged when you use money for anything. So just making sure that that is an equal exchange is probably what the focus should be on. So the way that I coach it is to give people confidence. This isn't necessarily like have to be the structure that you use only, but to give people confidence I'll have people logically look at what they've invested for their services, the equipment that they use, the platforms that they use, the software that they use, the experience that they've gained, certifications they've gotten, blah, 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 blah. Like just get all of that down on paper and see it in front of you to gain confidence. And then don't look at what other people, like I see this all the time where like I had a photography client recently be like, well, my mentor charges this. So should I do that? And it's like, well, what do you feel comfortable in with that range of, you know, your prices are low. That's your end goal someday. What do you feel comfortable with right now? Once you've looked at all of the logistics and then it becomes really easy. You know, I think that we overthink it a lot. (laughs) We assume that people can't afford things, which is a terrible way to go. Um, You should never assume that people can't afford your services. And it's an energy exchange at the end of the day. So if you feel good about what you're offering, then that person will receive that value back. And I think that's an amazing answer. And I think it also relates back to, again, like what is your purpose? Like what is that end goal? Like you mentioned, because for me and like in consulting, I undercharge nine out of 10 times because the client that I'm serving is people I know can't afford like my worth, but my mission in life is to give the extra value to these people I know need help the most. And I know that like now's not my time to make that killing. Now's my time to basically be Robin Hood. I have my own mentors. I have my own people that are helping me give to people that that need it to most, but that's my mission. So I don't beat myself up in my head of like, I'm charging less. I deserve more. And I think that's half the battle for most people is they want to charge more so charge more, but right. they don't give themselves that validation. 
they're like, I don't like working with this client right. and they just keep complaining rather than being like, if I just charged more, I beat this problem. Right. Now, if you're telling yourself the story of, okay, I'm charging less and I'm working with more difficult clients because that's my mission in life right, right. now, that's completely okay. And I wanted totally. to, I wanted to state that on here because pricing is such a huge conflicting thing and people will give you so many different yep. pieces of advice for it. But the way I've always looked at it is just like have a purpose behind your pricing. Totally. Like if you can map out why your price is the way that it is, yep. you're ahead of 99% of the people out there. Right. And then even in terms of charging even greater, when I say, okay, when I get to contracts where it's, okay, it's $100,000 to work with me, here's why. Well, I have a million dollars worth of connections for you right. and people that can help you Value that's going that's yeah. to speed up your life, right? Totally. So what's five years of your life worth in terms of getting this thing to the next level? Right. Is it worth $100,000? Most people will be like, yeah, I mean, I paid $100,000 to go to school, right. most people will say. So it's just like everything is telling that story and totally. making sure that purpose is aligned. But where are you at today? How did you go from the personal training to the next step of your coaching because I think again going back to labels there's so many times where I've seen a personal trainer stay a personal trainer for five six seven years then be like holy shit what am I doing yeah. right and then life coaches or, mm -hmm. or or business coaches they do it for a couple of years and then they trap themselves again right but you've always seemed to have the chameleon type of energy where mm -hmm. you're constantly just adapting to your surroundings. So what was the next thing after kind of personal training? What did you start to seek in your life? So there was pretty quickly, I realized that what people needed help with wasn't necessarily working out three times a week and eating right. It was had a lot more due to with mental health and stress management and general personal development but I didn't want to be like a quote unquote life coach. I wanted to be really specialized. So I started marketing myself as a stress expert and started helping basically my same demographic that I was helping personal training just evolved more to boundaries, values, confidence. Those don't seem like they're related to stress, but they all are. Um, and then just teaching the science of stress. But that evolved because of the need in the market. So that's something I've always tried to pay attention to is like I had all these clients who were miserable personal training. Like they, they'd show up and they'd work out, but that wasn't like something that was really benefiting their overall life. So then I started coaching on stress during our personal training sessions or like having them meditate first or having them slow down and do more functional movement. Then they started enjoying it more. Then they started seeing the benefits of like, oh, I can manage my stress and it impacts everything in my life. And then when COVID happened, I stopped seeing personal training clients in person. So I just ran with the stress coaching online. Um, so it's really only been like, what, four months of that. And through working with you and Thrive, that's how Pinecone has always been like in the back of my mind is because the realization of I'm always thinking 10, 20 years ahead. And at the same time, I'm always thinking like I could die tomorrow. So it's having that balance of like making sure you're doing something that you're in alignment with every day. Um, but also thinking like, do I want to be hustling as a coach on Instagram in 20 years? Probably not. So building Pinecone and having that long-term vision of something that I can grow into is really important to me. I love that. And anybody listening right now, no matter where you're at in your life, you can take that advice like to heart. And it's 
adapting to your surroundings. Like we've been saying yep. it on this is just like adapt to the market. You can't beat the market. Like right. as they say in basketball, the ball don't lie. Like right. you shoot the shot, it goes up on the rim and like it doesn't lie. Right. So it's interesting how like COVID has kind of put you in this path, which I think you, you've been, honestly, I look up to you so much with your content and like what you put out there mm -hmm. and the amount of research you, you put into things. But even relating back to how Thrive started, like when I started it, that's that the mindset I have is like, yeah. I don't know what this thing is going to become, right. but I do know I'm going to need, and this is, this is like four or five years ago where it was heavy people talking about branding. Yeah. That was the, the hot thing that is like, you need a brand. Right. They just weren't necessarily good in their communication of why. Right. And now I'm starting to realize why. Yeah. So like when I have the sticker that has the heartbeat on it and it's right. just like make every heartbeat count and to get people emotionally charged around right. the brand. Now I, that I have a podcast and I have these other things that I can communicate the mission through. Right. I didn't have that three or four years ago, but totally. it was pre-planned. It was like a seed. And I think one of the things that you do a great job of and one of the things I'm getting better at is complimenting my own self and not being right. so hard is I never really put pressure on to box thrive into anything. Totally. I always just adapted it to the market because yep. in the beginning it was like me just sharing my story and right. working out and traveling and doing all these things and what I thought it should be um, and what I enjoyed to be honest. Right. And then I would work in this one project or startup right. and then I pivoted just a little bit and then I started personal training and doing life coaching business coaching right on the side and now today it exists solely because of what you just said of yeah. just listen to the market where we work with a lot of creative people right. because a lot of these people are seeking to thrive but they struggle because obviously starting your own business being a freelancer is fucking hard right so that's where we're building this course to help people kind of break into what you just said, yeah. which is create your brand and think that 20 year long term, yeah. long term span. A lot of people struggle to do that, but then also realizing like it will evolve. It will evolve so and you could die foundation. tomorrow. So you still yeah. have to take action today. Yeah. You can't live in dream world of like <laughs> totally. pinecone's going to be the next. Right. I think that's what a lot of pinecone's going to be the next Nike. Right. And it's just like, no, how? like I can't think like that. It's like you got you got to figure out the how right. um, a little bit. So we're getting close to having to wrap up and I have a couple more couple more questions. So you, you're talking about the stress and anxiety coaching. Mm -hmm. What does a day in the life look like for you and then also for your client? Like who are the types of people that you're working with? So I mostly work with women, a lot of moms who either own their own businesses or work in like a corporate very career driven environment. And a lot of the things that I work with women on are boundaries. It's a huge thing is speaking up for what you need and what you want and being clear on that. that so creates... is that like expectation management kind of like yes, does it fall on that? Totally. Yeah. And I think that for women especially, so much of stress is worrying about the past or worrying about the future and not really just being comfortable being present and quiet with yourself. So that's a big focus. Financial stress is huge. So I don't obviously do financial advising or coaching in that respect, but I help people be aware of their finances and change their mindset around finances. And then another big thing that I do are mindset interventions around your stress response. So I could talk all day about this, but we're taught as a society um, to fear stress and that it's really bad for us, but we're actually beings who have thrived because of our adaptation to stress. So changing your mindset around it and seeing it as a challenge that you have to rise to 
instead of something that's harming your health is actually extremely powerful. If you're nervous, that's your body telling you to get energy and get excited and be enthusiastic. It's not telling you to calm down. So it's really important to be able to read those different stress signals. Sometimes calming down is appropriate, but a lot of the time stress is a signal just letting you know something that if you learn how to read it can be really powerful. So that's a lot of what I do. I love that. And to your last point, shout out to my buddy, Stefan, who was also on this podcast previously, taught me something. He spoke at, what is a sober event space here on the east side? Sandsbar. Sandsbar. He Mm -hmm. spoke there and he talked about don't don't try to reduce the amount of stress that you have. Try to grow into thriving with that stress and adapt adapt to being able to take more stress on and handling it. And it really... I took a back seat to when he said that and was just like, wow, I've been going about this entire wrong way. And I, f- I forget who said this, but it's bite off more than you can chew and chew like hell. Mm. And I think what we as a society kind of do is we make ourselves small and don't realize that we are built to handle a lot more so stress much. than we are put under right now. Because like for the most part, especially everyone listening to this, like we have shelter, we have food, we have things that our hardware of of human, like we were built to not have any of that. We had to create all of it. So the stress today is so actually small compared to what it used to be. And we are built, we have hardware in us that is built to handle massive amounts of stress. And if we just lean into it, like you said, and when we had that nervous or anxiousness 500 years ago when there's danger around, right. that was actually a good thing. It's prepping you. Yeah. It was a good thing and exactly. prepped you versus we have this negative connotation around mm-hmm. it. So I love that last thing you said, but I want to kind of end on the boundaries and mm-hmm. the expectation management because yeah. this is something I think that a lot of people struggle with, including myself, because mm-hmm. we set such, such high expectations of ourselves. And right. one of the things, especially in entrepreneurship and in the corporate world as well, we never have an opportunity to celebrate our wins and have right. fun. So my last question is, what are the things that you enjoy and do for fun? And it's a two-part question. What do you think some people out there, because I know you're into mindset and all that stuff mm-hmm. with your clients, can do to just have more fun in life? Because this is something I've been asking myself mm-hmm. a lot recently. I feel like I constantly am doing this. Like, how do I have more fun in my life? So I'd love to know what that looks like to you and then what your advice would be to anybody listening to to do that in their own lives. So luckily for me, I live with like the biggest goofball on the planet. So Dustin is constantly making me laugh. So we're always having fun. But I think something that was definitely a mindset shift for me that if you're an entrepreneur, this might be controversial advice, but having a balance between the hustle and making sure that you're living in the moment. So for me, it's like what that looks like is if I have time to spend quality time with Dustin, that's always going to be a priority throughout my day at some point. And then I kind of create my entrepreneurial life around that. So just figuring out what your priorities are and doing that is really important and fun should totally be a part of that. Um, I'm trying to think of what we do specifically. Like, I love going on bike rides. Um, We are obsessed with Star Trek. I'm a huge nerd. So we watch Star Trek a lot. And I just get a lot of joy from it. I think it's a great show. And then just being in nature. Like, my idea of fun isn't quite, like, the same. I'm not an adrenaline junkie. Like, it's not quite the same as a lot for a lot of people. But 
I think just laughing like anywhere that I can be laughing with friends or with Dustin or with being surrounded by people having good ideas and brainstorming and I kind of have adopted a mindset of like just making most things in my day as fun as possible instead of seeking these like large moments of fun. It's like, Does the that make sim- sense? yeah, it's like simplicity. And yeah. I love what you said about managing and having a balance of like the hustle and then spending these moments. And I mean, this podcast for me, like growing right. into understanding myself has helped me like, cause to me, I consider this fun and hustle right, exactly. at the same time. Right. And I think the more that you can merge those worlds, like at least for me has had a renowned impact in, right. in my life um, over the past couple of years where it's just like, I mean, to most, this would look like hustling. Right. Like it's like you do the podcast and I got to take it off the card and put it right. on my computer, get it to my team. But right. to me, like that's fun. And right. like having this conversation is fun. So I think finding what that is, what that enjoyment is for yourself is a big takeaway that, yeah. I mean, I get from this whole conversation of just lean into what makes you happy and yeah. and go more towards that. So using something that's comfortable taking a step outside of that comfort zone every once in a while right? and then using that to get to the next level. But unfortunately we got to wrap up this conversation and I'd love to have anybody who listens to this reach out to you and connect with you because yeah, I'm telling totally. you this girl is a gem and you definitely want to connect with her, speak with her, learn from her um, and grow with her. So where can our audience find you at? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm Courtney Peacock underscore. Is that what it's called? Yep. Yes. And I also have an account for Pinecone at We Are Pinecone that you can follow. And if you follow now, you'll see the whole journey of growing it. Hell yeah. I love it. I love the fact that you're speaking about it more. Any parting words before we sign off here? Thrive on. Hell yeah. I love it. So if you've been listening, some of the biggest takeaways from me on this episode has really been... I think for me, because I'm always pushing past the comfort zone and I am an adrenaline junkie, is taking a step back and being okay with being comfortable, Mm -hmm. but taking small micro steps. I think I've gotten so much in the habit of trying to 10x in so many different Mm -hmm. areas that that can have a negative impact in my life and the relationships that I have. So one thing that I'm going to do walking away from this conversation is look at some of the areas where it's, I'm going to label label it even though I hate labels (laughs) label it as it's okay to be comfortable in this area CJ and like push the needle forward in the in these other areas so thank Mm -hmm. you so much for all the wisdom that you brought thank you for having me to this podcast there was a ton of takeaways and I can't wait to listen to it so forever is out there right now please the best thing that you can do for us is if you took some value from this podcast please connect with Courtney or myself we'd love to hear it share it with a friend and please give us a rating on iTunes that will help this be heard by more people. We really appreciate you you listening and the entire Thrive team um, who's in the office right now, they just showed up, is really, really appreciative of you spending time with us. So until next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. Thrive on y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. On behalf of our small team behind the scenes and myself, thank you so much for listening to another one of our Thrive on Life episodes. The time you spend with us is very much appreciated. As mentioned before the show, our mission is always to help those around us get better. We fully understand that we can go so much further in life together as a team, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. So if you're interested in joining our community, please head to thriveonlife.com and join our Mighty Network. Within this network, you will find a diverse group of people that is on a mission of self-improvement. 
Within each improvement we make as individuals, we can then be of service to this world and help it get better as a whole. What's awesome is we've already had people make new friends, receive job offers, and collaborate on new business and creative opportunities. But most importantly, within this group, you will be guaranteed the ability to learn, grow, and share experiences with other like-minded individuals. This aspect is critical to our world becoming a better place for everyone, and we are proud of our group because it represents this. For other updates on the podcast community and business, please join our weekly mailing list. We'd love to hear from you. And before I leave you, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.